Welcome, Nexus Church family, online to our Christmas time celebration. Over the course of this Christmas season, we'll be doing all sorts of different things that you'll be getting to follow along with, whether it's our Christmas program or our individual messages, whatever it is, I really encourage you to come and be a part of the live event. But if you can't, as you are today, I encourage you to enjoy the message, reach out to us if you have any questions, whether it's nexuschurchmn.com, our website, where you can find all the information, our phone numbers, our ways to get a hold of us on Facebook, or you can just click on nexuschurchmn@gmail.com at gmail.com and you can send us an email that way. However it is, I hope that you enjoy today's message in this wonderful time of year. donkey, soft and great, and carried us home to father. I am Mary, Mother Mild, how I love my tiny child.
Maybe that's not true. Excellent. I think we are ready. I will uh, abandon my post and let you know. the Christmas present. It was about to begin. God's plan for humanity, crafted in the halls of heaven and carried out on the plains of earth. Only holiness could have imagined it. Only divinity could have enacted it. Only righteousness could have endured it. Once the plan began, there would be no turning back. The Creator knew it. The Son knew it. Soon the earth itself would witness heaven's majesty alighting on the planet. It all happened in the most remarkable moment moment like no other. God became a man. Divinity arrived. The omnipotent in one instant became flesh and blood. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. Mary and Joseph were anything but royal, yet heaven entrusted its greatest treasure to these simple parents. God came near. It could have begun anywhere, the story of the king. But curiously, it began in a manger. Step into the doorway. Peek through the window. Look and see. He is here. The place. The noise and the bustle began earlier than usual in the village. As night gave way to dawn, people were already on the street. Vendors were positioning themselves on the corners of the most heavily traveled avenues. Store owners were unlocking the doors to their shops. Children were awakened by the excited barking of street dogs and the complaints of donkeys pulling carts. The owner of the inn had awakened earlier than most. After all, the inn was full, all the beds taken. Every available mat or blanket had been put to use. Soon all the customers would be stirring and there would be a lot of work to do. One's imagination is kindled thinking about the conversation of the innkeeper and his family at the breakfast table. Did anyone mention the arrival of the young couple the night before? Did anyone ask about their welfare? Did anyone comment on the pregnancy of the girl on the donkey? There was nothing novel about this couple. 
they were one of several families turned away that night. Besides, who had time to talk about them when there was so much excitement in the air? Augustus did the economy of Bethlehem a favor when he decreed that a census be taken. Who could remember such, when such a, a com, commerce ha, had hit the village? It is doubtful that anyone mentions the couple's arrival or wondered about its, or wondered about the condition of the girl. They were busy. The day was upon them. The day's bread had to be made. The morning chores had to be done. There was so much to do. To imagine that the impossible had occurred. So on the city hums, merchants are unaware that God has visited their planet. The innkeeper would never believe he had sent God into the cold. The people would scoff at anyone who told them the Messiah lay in the arms of a teenager on the outskirts of their village. They were all too busy to consider the possibility. Those who missed his majesty's arrival that night missed it not because of evil acts or malice. No, they missed it because they simply weren't looking. The arrival. Were someone to chance upon the stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning, what a particular scene they would behold. The stable stinks, like all stables do. The stench of urine, dung, and sheep reeks pungently in the air. The ground is hard, the hay scarce, cobwebs cling to the ceiling, and a mouse scurries across the dirt floor. A lowlier place of birth could not exist. Curious, this royal throne room. No tapestries covering the windows. No golden scepter or glittering crown. Curious, the sounds of the court. Cows munching, hooves crunching, a mother humming. Off on one side sits a group of shepherds. They are silent in amazement. Their night watch had been interrupted by an explosion of light from heaven and a symphony of angels. God goes to those who have time to hear him. So on this cloudless night, he went to the simple shepherds. God had entered the world as a baby, in, of all places, a stinking stable. It all happened in a moment, and as moments go, this one appeared no different than any other. But, in reality, this particular moment was like none. This, in this segment of time, a sp spectacular thing occurred. God became man, while creatures of the earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one, in the human womb, the omnipotent, in one instant, made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pure spirit. He who is larger than the universe became an embryo. He who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent on the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He kicked and stirred and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. And were it not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. The universe
first watched in wonder as the Almighty took his first breath as a human. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. One thing was for sure, that while he was completely divine, he was also completely human. The mother. Mary awakes. My, how young she looks. Her head rests on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. The pain has been eclipsed by wonder. She looks into the face of the baby, her son, her Lord, his majesty. At this point in history, the one human being who best understands who God is and what he is doing is a teenage with a teenage girl in a smelly stable. She can't take her eyes off of it. Somehow, Mary knows she is holding God. So this is he. She remembers the words of the angel. His kingdom will never end. He looks like anything but a king. His face is prunish and red. His cry, though strong and healthy, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. Majesty in the midst of the mundane. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. This baby had overseen the universe. These rags keeping him warm were robes of eternity. His golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. Worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. She touches the face of the infant, God, and exclaims, How long your journey has been. The father gives him his name. Near the young mother sits the weary father. If anyone is dozing, he is. He can't remember the last time he sat down. Now that the excitement has subsided a bit, now that Mary and the baby are comfortable, he leans against the wall of the stable and feels his eyes grow heavy. He still hasn't figured it out. The mystery of the event puzzles him. But right now, he hasn't the energy to wrestle with the questions. What's important is the baby is fine and that Mary is safe. As sleep overtakes him, he remembers the name the angel told him to use, Jesus. We will call him Jesus. Mary's Prayer Sleep well, heaven's child. Bask in the coolness of this night, bright with diamonds. Sleep well, for the heart of anger simmers nearby. Enjoy the silence of the crib, for the noise of confusion rumbles in your future. Savor the sweet safety of my arms, for a day is soon coming when I cannot protect you. Rest well, tiny hands. Though you belong to a king, you will touch no satin, own no gold. You will grasp no pen, guide no brush. No, you tiny hands are reserved for works more precious. To touch a leper's open wound, to wipe a widow's tears, to claw the ground of Gethsemane. Your hands, so tiny, so tender, clutched in an infant's fist. 
They aren't destined to hold a king's scepter or wave from a palace balcony. They are reserved instead for cold iron spikes that will drive them against a rugged Roman cross. Sleep deeply, tiny eyes. Sleep while you can. Soon the blurriness will clear and you will see the mess we have made of your world. You will see our nakedness, for we cannot hide. You will see our selfishness, for we cannot give. You will see our pain, for we cannot heal. O oh, eyes that will see hell's darkest pit and witness her ugly prints, sleep. Please sleep while you can. Lay still, tiny mouth, mouth from which eternity will speak. Tiny tongue that will soon summon the dead, that will define grace, that will silence our foolishness. Rosebud lips upon which ride the kiss of forgiveness to those who believe in you. Lay still. Tiny feet cupped in the palm of my hand rest, for many difficult steps lie ahead of you. Do you taste the dust of the trails you will travel? Do you feel the cold of the seawater upon which you will walk? Do you wrench at the invasion of the nail you will bear? Do you fear the steep descent down the spiral staircase into Satan's domain? Rest, tiny feet, rest. Rest today so that tomorrow you might walk with power. Rest, for millions will follow in your steps. O oh, little heart, holy, pumping the blood of life through the universe, how many times will we break you? You'll be torn by the thorns of our accusations. You'll be ravaged by the cancer of our sin. You'll be crushed under the weight of your own sorrow. You'll be pierced by the spear of our rejection. Yet in that piercing, in that ultimate ripping of muscle and membrane, in that final rush of blood and water, you will find rest. Your hands will be freed, your eyes will see justice, your lips will smile, and your feet will carry you home. There you will rest again, this time in the embrace of your Heavenly Father. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you, that's every single one of us, were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out our inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. But God. But God. I love but God's in the Bible. So good. But God, who is rich in his mercy because of his great love that he has for us. Insert your name. That he has for you. His great love for you made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. 
He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in coming age he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That baby, that gift, that child was born for us. For you, verse 8, are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift. It's a gift. It is a gift from God. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. You are God's workmanship. And listen to what you're created for. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God sent his son, and we celebrate it during Christmas time, but ultimately, I say this all the time, and pardon me for saying this so often, but really, Christmas would be powerless without the cross, without Easter, without the resurrection. That gift that was given would be powerless. But because of God and his grace, he sent Jesus to be to be our place. So that when God looks at you, he sees his son. And there's nothing you could do. You don't earn it. You don't work hard enough. You don't go to church often enough. You don't give enough to earn it. It is a gift from God. And out of that gift, we know elsewhere in the Bible that God says we give our lives back to him. And so this Christmas... As we remember Jesus, the baby that was given, we ultimately remember that our lives have purpose. You are a workmanship crafted by God. Just like Jesus in the womb, you were crafted by God with a purpose. Not just to receive that gift of grace, but to give yourself to him and to others. So as the worship team comes back up and we go into our last song, it's called Go Tell It on the Mountains. This Christmas, your job as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've called him your, his, him your Savior, your Lord, you are to go proclaim on the mountains that Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you stand? I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for this wonderful day, God, as we gather It's a gift, God. Your son is a gift. And we give ourselves back to you, Jesus. Thank you for these amazing times that we get to have together, Father, as a church family to remember that gift. Father, I pray your hand would be over every single family member as we enter into this Christmas season and remember that ultimate gift that you gave for us, your life for ours. God, may we give it back to you, our lives, to you, in Jesus' name.